thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's a, such a pleasure to, you know, first of all, have all of you over here. And, uh, you know, just it's, it's so wonderful to just taking a pause in our everyday life and uh, looking at celebrating wonderful day. So, um, you know, joining us here uh, on this panel, um, our wonderful group of uh, women, uh, very accomplished and uh, you know, trailblazers. And before I introduce them, let me introduce uh, to all of you the topic of the discussion today. The topic of the discussion is empowering girls and women. This is a topic that's very, very close to my heart. And, uh, you know, being a woman, tech entrepreneur and uh, a mother of uh, a young boy and a young girl and uh, you know having seen the world uh, you know in in you know in in a way that uh, i want to see i want to have my daughter you know see uh, a better world for tomorrow right so we'll we'll share all of those experiences but i want to invite all young girls and young women and uh, and families you know to listen to us to see what is it that we all can do to make the world a better place, you know, for our girls. So with that, um, let me get started. I have a wonderful group over here and uh, all of them trailblazers and accomplished uh, women. And, uh, you know, these women are going to share your experience, their experiences and share with you their perspectives. And we look forward for a really good animated uh, discussion over here. It's a global panel. I have people around the world joining here. And uh, so, um, first of all, a warm welcome to each of my panelists. So before we get started, you know, I'd like to take uh, the opportunity to have each one of you introduce yourself and your organization and what you represent, you know, for uh, young girls and young women. So, you know, let's get started with the Meribeth. Meribeth. As, as Venus said, my name is Mary Beth Riley, and I am the principal head of school of Notre Dame High School in San Jose, which is um, an all-girls school. Uh, it has been in San Jose since 1851, so it has sort of been a trailblazer in and of itself in terms of the development of this area, California, um, definitely the city of San Jose. Um, being an all-woman school, uh, our focus obviously is on women's education and always has been. Um, it definitely, in this particular time period, uh, we continue to um, educate young women with a specificity of the roles that they will play in their adult lives and their adult and career lives. So when we juxtapose that to like when education in the 1920s, uh, it looks very different today. But the focus is still uh, very much the same, academic preparation, but academic preparation, I would say, with a twist of application in terms of um, leadership roles that they will take, no matter uh, what area of um, work that they, uh, that they gravitate towards. So um, we, we, we feel that we are you know, not just affecting each individual life, but it's a cascade effect uh, because they come out with a strong sense of their ability to um, lead and use their voices. So it's a it's very satisfying work, smaller scale perhaps than um, some of the work that you all are doing, uh, but I think it, it cascades out. So I'm very happy to be here today and talk to all of you and um, hear about your work too. Thank you. So, so, the, so that's wonderful, Mary Beth. You know, you're shaping up, you know, several hundreds of young women to be future leaders. So uh, that's a, that's a, 
fantastic thing and it's a great representation for many um you know educators and principals out there who are shaping up you know young girls and uh, you know the, the future generation so wonderful thank you it's good um next we'll uh, move to uh megana hi everyone uh, it's really wonderful seeing all of you um my name is megana reddy and i'm a rhythmic gymnast so uh, i am i'm only 22 years now and i have been playing the sport for the past 10 years and just to give a little introduction about my sport because i don't think uh, many people are aware of such a sport uh, in the us it is quite popular and the us team has uh, given really wonderful results in the past but in india it is still a fairly new sport and on top of that uh, this is one of the only uh, two olympic sports that is an all women sport so i started uh, i found out about the sport uh, when i used to go for training in hyderabad in my city in india and so my coach first he uh, he put me in the sport because i started at a very old age uh, when compared to other gymnasts in the sport so i was around 11 years 12 years when i started and that is usually not the ideal age to start gymnastics so my coach suggested i go into rhythmic gymnastics since i was already a uh, indian classical dancer i used to do kuchipudi for i think 6 years before i started gymnastics so he suggested me to go into the sport since you know i have that experience of uh, dance and performing and rhythmic gymnastics is a very um, it's a performance sport you could say and uh, that's how i actually found out about the sport that's how i got introduced to it but uh, in 2010 when the commonwealth games were held in delhi i got the chance to see these games live like in the stadium and being there in the stadium is a whole different vibe and you know seeing seeing the gymnasts seeing them how proud they were to represent their country to represent something bigger than themselves that inspired me and that's that's when i fell in love with the sport and that's when i decided that i want to take it up professionally and ever since then i have been training and you know i have been working hard in hopes to one day uh, be able to um, get india on the map for rhythmic gymnastics i'm a technology executive uh, where i focus significantly on sales execution ecosystems and partnerships and then as respect to uh, focusing on empowering women and specifically girls uh, i'm proud to be a board member of girls inc at a national level Uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with Girls Inc, we serve in about 350 cities across North America, which encompasses almost 1,500 sites. And the intent is to focus on girls ages six to 18, and really the development of the whole girl. Uh, Mary Beth, we were founded in 1864, uh, so almost 150 years plus. Uh, really. focusing on girls empowering girls advocating for girls uh and really it like you mentioned Mary Beth has evolved over time in what we deliver in terms of services but the intent is really to help girls learn to value themselves right to discover and develop the inherent strengths that they have and advocating for physical activity and more positive body images academic support right so that allow them to excel and in a school environment and then the third component is around life skills instruction which we uh see improves their self and emotional control 
So ultimately, um, I'm, I'm proud to focus on enabling girls from a self-advocacy perspective, as well as being an organization that advocates on behalf of these girls to allow them to flourish as they grow. Thank you, Vanita. That's a wonderful work that Girls Inc. is doing, a much needed uh, coaching and uh, empowerment uh, services you know, for uh, young ladies. So looking forward to hearing more from you. Over to you, Whitney. Thank you, you know, thanks for inviting me to speak on this panel as well. My name is Whitney, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago, and now I'm based in San Francisco as a software engineer that works with Microsoft's top 500 customers to help them unlock the power of the cloud, the edge, and really tap into innovation so that they can stay at the forefront of the industry. So I just finished a project with Disney where we helped them actually leverage technology to be able to create more shows more rapidly to actually compete with Netflix in the streaming game. So before I left Trinidad, in fact, I came to the U.S. to study medicine. I had no exposure or any insight into software engineering technology and what the power of user innovation is to create. And I got exposed to this at an all-female hackathon at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, where it was over a thousand women in this auditorium. And in two to three days, they all came up with like really great solutions to solve problems that they face in their day-to-day. For instance, crime on campuses at night and so on. When I saw this, I, I was completely like flabbergasted because I saw an opportunity where I can tap into to create without having to ask for permission. And since then, I deep dived into technology and now I'm at the forefront where I am traveling around the world, working in Japan, Netherlands, UK, um, the US, and really seeing what these top Fortune 100, Fortune 500 companies are thinking of in terms of staying at the competitive edge. And in doing so, I'm mainly, most times, the only female in the room. And when I look around, I look around from a sense of power because I know I'm here because I'm capable to do this. Um, It doesn't have to do with my gender. So I founded a nonprofit in 2018 that's all around self-advocacy, similar to Benito, as well as self-development, where our hope is to really capture the individuals who are also passionate about creating, not just for the sake of creating, but creating to like create systematic change and like exponential impact. And um, our role is to give, expose the girls, the males, males as well, to the opportunities that is present to them once they commit to it and they want to go on this journey. So thank you once again for um, inviting me to this panel. Excellent, Whitney. It's a very, very inspiring journey and uh, very inspiring to see that at such a young age, uh, you have started uh, social entrepreneurship and uh, you know, looking at impacting more and more you know, uh, girls and women out there, uh, certainly very inspiring. So um, with that, uh, I think, you know, uh, one of the key topics that we are talking about today is um, gender equality, you know, um, how do we bring gender parity, right? So, you know, I'm sure, you know, most of you on this panel are aware of, you know, some of the people out in our audience, just to bring you up to speed. Um, gender parity, gender equality is, uh, is uh, one of the key 
uh, area where, um, you know, I think we all need to do a lot of work. According to the World Economic Forum, you know, which uh, recently did a study on global gender gap, uh, there is a significant gap, you know, between, uh, you know, the genders. And uh, globally, it is currently standing at about 57.8%. And uh, it takes uh, over a 100 years to bring the parity, you know, between the genders. And this report, you know, basically goes through uh, four different uh, areas, you know, uh, gender parity in terms of health, gender parity in the area of uh, education, um, in the area of uh, socioeconomic, uh, as well as politics. And uh, again, we can touch each one of these topics. Uh, but one of the things that actually did, uh, really, you know, uh, stood out and, you know, struck me was, the socioeconomic gap, the socioeconomic gap between the male and the female, in order to bridge this gap and make it equal, World Economic Forum projects that it will take approximately 257 years to bridge this gap. That is very alarming. Again, you know, I want to you know, put it out there to each one of you to see what do you see you know, for girls as challenges and what can we do to you know, bring them up in, you know, first of all, you know, starting right from, you know, right from homes, what is it that is needed? So over to you, Mary Beth. Yeah, thanks, Vina. I mean, I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna toss this one uh, to Vanita and Whitney in a minute. Um, it seems to me that, you know, if we still hear descriptions of things like, I'm the, I was the only woman in the room, Vina, when you were being educated, Whitney today, as she's doing her work, that just seems like, why is that? So statistically, you know, college um, uh, in the United States, women in college is over 50% of college and university students. So what happens? So it seems to me, when you get up into like higher leadership positions, you know, in terms of um, CEOs, C-suite uh, boards, um, then the representation of women across every professional sector just skydives, you know, it's, you know, it's like less than 20%. So my thought is, and when we say, was it, what a great week, I couldn't be happier um, with Kamala Harris stepping into the vice president role, but eat gads, did that take a long time or what? Come on, you know, that just seems so wrong. So what happens, where is this gap as women leave school and they have, um, they're very well-educated and they have, um, you know, strong backgrounds in, in all degrees like engineering. What happens as they get into the workforce um, that becomes obstacles as they um, work their way, as they work their way through? Why does it take so much grit to get to the leadership table? You know, where are those obstacles and challenges? Because from my perspective, we're educating women and they have all of the skill sets and they're equal to or better. And yet, you know, um, there seems to be there seems to be some uh, concrete challenges. I want to suggest that it's systemic, that it's built into power structures um, that are just sort of um, you know sort of a, a gender bias. But you, Whitney and Vanita, I'll toss it to you because you know your feet on the ground on that one, and so are you, Vina. But <laughs> yeah. um, from my experience and the conversations I have had with other females in tech especially in the engineering world, I often come across um, thoughts around like, 
there's no way I can relate to my teammates, you know, like most of the time when we are in meetings and when we actually have a lunch or when we are traveling, we have a lot of like socializing, but the conversations itself, it, you, you can't contribute to it. So you feel so a sense of pressure where it's like, okay, um, do I have to go out and add these things as my interest to be part of the team? <laughs> oh, so you end up like doubting yourself in terms of like who you are as an individual Am I just not cool enough? And that's just um, alluding to the old boys club that still exists. And then other things is the fact that we as women, I, I realize we are natural nurturers. And in a space in, as technology, we need nurturing as well in the form of mentorship, great managers, great leaders. And if we always nurture naturally, but we are very sensitive to those who don't nurture as well. So therefore, um, I come across a lot of like teammates and even myself where it's, I can clearly see the lack of um, intentionality that goes into our leadership and management that shows me that they aren't truly interested in my success here or they aren't listening to what I need as a female to be able to, tr to like grow in my career, to grow as an individual and like really own my seat at the table. So therefore, in terms of what is needed, I think what I've been trying to do at least is cre naturally create the opportunities for nurture nurturing myself where I now have to like expand my time to like see as much persons as I can touch in 30 minute increments, right? But and sometimes just speaking with um, an early career person or a student who's contemplating entering the field, 30 minutes once a month, goes a very long way in like boosting their confidence and so on. And the last thing I will mention is really figuring out how to build those like interrelationships in the workplace outside of gender, where it's like, hey, we are all human beings. We, we, we are here for a purpose. Um, we have integrity and we, we want to like create a working agreement that doesn't challenge who I am. Whitney, I applaud you on that. I, I think you hit two different networking aspects, right? Which is reaching back and helping those that are more junior in the business, as well as advocating for yourself. Uh, I agree with all the comments made about women in the workforce. As a chemical engineer, Vina, I experienced what you did going through programs um, in school, but then even in the workplace. I, I think I want to just make sure I highlight some of the key challenges I perceive girls face. We just talked a little bit about women in the workforce, but as Girls Inc. does some of our studies, we find that 89% of Girls Inc. girls are actually interested in science and math, for example. So at a young age, they're interested, and then something changes where they aren't exposed enough to the activities, the experiences, more than the job title. How do we keep girls engaged at a very young age? And you have to balance that with the fact that their home environment may not be conducive to that type of learning, that experiential opportunity. Do they see people that look like them? Do they have the right role models? Um, there's the social pressure to conform, right? as you battle, whether it's sex, race, religion, immigration status, gender identity, et cetera, how do you balance the potential lack of support at home, the societal pressures 
to fit in, which girls experience as do boys, by the way. But that said, are there enough role models? And then more importantly is, are there programs and opportunities given to the girls to learn? And to bridge that to where Whitney landed, right, is if you have that level of self-confidence and support behind you, then as you enter the workforce and continue to thrive, you'll have experiences in building those networks, advocating for yourself, and understanding what it's going to take to make the next move. That's a great point you made, Vanita. I think it all starts from, you know, home and in very young ages, you know, how do we nurture, you know, our girls and how do we build confidence in them? So I, I think there's a big message for families out there to be able to be that really strong support to, you know, go out to launch themselves out. And uh, I'd like to, you know, get this over to um, uh, Meghna. Um, and uh, I'm sure in her life, you know, uh, that is one of the key factors that has you know, helped her launch herself. So uh, Meghna, uh, over to you. So, um, yeah, I, I don't have that much experience with the workforce. You know, I have, I've been in sports my entire life. But I think one thing that I have noticed, like, you know, traveling everywhere is that, you know, we are not given enough credit for what we do. Because, like, I have noticed it in my sport only. You know, it's an all-women sport. So within the sport, it's not that, you know, we have any um, gender equality because it's all women. But I have noticed it when, you know, when it comes to competitions or when it comes to trainings, when we are training with other, uh, you know, gymnasts, male, uh, the male artistic gymnasts or even the female artistic gymnasts, we are tend to, like, you know, not give, uh, we're we not given enough credit for what we do. You know, they see us at competitions because our sport is something where we, um, you know, we, it, it's a very glamorous sport. We have these beautiful leotards and we have this beautiful music and routines that we perform and we have makeup and everything. So they just look at that and they assume that, you know, it is something easy, something that, you know, anybody can do. And when I first began, that was one of the reasons why my coach put me in rhythmic gymnastics. You know, he told me that, um, I was too old to start artistic and that, you know, it would be too difficult for me to get anywhere in, in a sport like artistic starting at the age I did. So he suggested I go into rhythmic and I have seen it, um, you know, within our country as well that, you know, most people opt for rhythmic gymnastics as an easy option, but I have, um, you know, through my years of training, I have seen that, you know, it is, there is nothing easy about this sport. The entire uh, aspect of making it look easy is actually much more difficult than what we perform. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is something that I've noticed um, in within my sport, and I I'm not really aware of how it is in the workforce because, like, you know, I've, I haven't experienced that yet. But I think um, I think it's pretty similar everywhere as well. You know, we are not given enough credit. People assume that you know things are, um, you know, we go for the easier option or, you know, something like that. Yeah, you know, uh, fundamentally, I think, you know, uh, there is uh, some level of undermining um, of, uh, um, you know, the achievement or undermining the ability to achieve. Um, and that is something I think, you know, in and around us, uh, things have to change and uh, people have to take a very, you um, 
cognitive uh, and a cognizant uh, approach, you know, to making sure that, you know, some of these uh, subliminal messages, you know, that are, you know, coming around to girls uh, and women around, um, you know, uh, needs to be, you know, changed. So that's a fundamental thing. I want to put out there topics of these three things, and I'm sure there are a lot more. But fundamental core, you know, in terms of actually just, you know, building up the personality. One, uh, self-advocacy. Um, two, uh, decision-making and leadership. And three, you know, the ability to dream big. So I'd like to put out to the, to the panelists, you know, the discussion as to how can we nurture this in our young girls. Um, you know, I think from, a, from being in education my whole life um, and working with young women, um, certainly, there's there there are those opportunities for young women to create, you know, for their success. Um, giving them opportunities to, you know, to be involved in in something they're interested in, you know, uh, develop leadership skills, develop their voice, um, be able to kind of test themselves are, are all, um, you know, that that's all great great and very formative. I think that um, what I have found um, is really key is what Whitney described <laughs> when she goes to some, you know, um, a gathering and watches women doing something, you know, and discovers a passion. Or what Megan talks about when she steps into that um, new gymnastics role, that, that sense of that, that sort of liberation to try something new, not to get kind of, you know, if, you're, if you come from a, a background, a family that's really supportive, it can still, you know, rut you in that you have to go in a particular direction. But that um, liberating sense of, you know, discovery and uh, finding passion um, and then wanting to work really hard because you're just so engaged in it is key because that's going to, that this feeds your, you know, it feeds your soul on the way through. So I think those things are very important. Um, I think role models, again, the, you know, just see, being here and seeing um, you all, uh, we try to put in front of our students, not ourselves, you know, our, our, our experience is limited in the education world, but to put in front of our young women, you know, people who are in careers, who are working in different areas so that you know, they can have that opportunity um, to make those kinds of connections. And I'm, I know Girls Inc. probably does this in, in spades. Um, so that's a, that seems very important. Those things seem, seem very important to me. Opportunities to kind of use your voice, um, to discover some passion, uh, to, um, uh, and, to see, and to see other people and to hear their stories, like just storytelling alone. And I think um, we, all, we all react to that in a, Whitney talked about nurturing. I think women do react to the, you know, to storytelling and hearing people's paths and journeys. I think that that really helps. So whether you're going to go into the arts or STEM, um, having those like opportunities uh, of discovery and practice are really helpful. I think, you know, two very great points, uh, you know, that you brought up, uh, Maribeth. I think liberating, uh, you know, and having that experience of I want to go out and pursue my passion. And the other is uh, for role models, you know, to, to have more women out there, you know, doing the storytelling. Uh, I think we got to go out and, you know, share the stories and uh, inspire, you know, young girls around us. Juanita? I absolutely agree, uh, Mary Beth. And the one piece I'll say is, is as educators, you're still at the forefront of it all. I know you said you know that you have only one size and scope, but I disagree with that. I think it, as role models, 
uh, it's essential for children to have these positive role models as they're growing. And I think your team probably leads that and is at the forefront of that on a daily basis. Uh, and I compliment them on how hard that is, especially in today's environment. But um, the, I look at the concept of role modeling as exhibiting the attributes and traits that you want to strive and develop without direct instruction at all times. But then there's another role that's more active and that would be uh, the ability to build some mentoring relationships. And Whitney touched on this a little bit as well in terms of as leaders, how do we take the time to engage with girls, with women, with their families, to encourage girls to pursue leadership positions, pursue STEM, pursue art, and, and actively be a role model slash mentor, whatever you call it, but that you're visible accessible, you're a real person uh, that someone can ask questions of and, and hear stories from, as you put it. I think that the other environment is equally important. It's just a coincidence that uh, we're talking to a principal of an all-girls school is this girl's only environment at times, such that the girls can be physically and emotionally safe in what they surface. Uh, and yet you're building this sisterhood of support, high expectations, mutual respect, and helping one another along the journey, because uh, we can depend on a lot of people, but helping one another as we climb the corporate ladder is equally valuable as it is at a young age. And then the last piece is, uh, I think we touched on experiences and what motivates you and inspires you is how do we... Uh, enable all girls, all walks of life, which is different, easier now, right, with a lot of virtual programming options, is hands-on, minds-on access to experiences that really help you see a different lens of what's out there. What could you be doing? How do you get engaged? Oh, this inspires me because if you're not exposed to theater, you never really know that that was your passion. Uh, if you're not exposed to sciences, how would you know? And I think that's probably a gap out there in the world, in the marketplace, that collectively many women leaders could fulfill. And I would like to add on to that saying that it's completely okay to not know what your passion is. Just be open to exploring and constantly discovering because I'm pretty sure um, people who are like in their 50s still don't know what they really want to do. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. So absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I think, you know, one of the things um, at Touch a Life, um, for what we are trying to do is uh, bring out, um, you know, some aspects of, um, you know, uh, nurturing the leadership skills, the self-advocacy skills. So we have launched a new program called uh, Touch a Life Scouts. Um, it's called the TAL Scouts program. It's a social entrepreneurship, you know, program where, you know, we are encouraging, you know, young girls and young boys, you know, to come together. We're, uh, you know, showing them or, you know, through digital curriculum as well as some small projects to be able to create their own project, you know, to be able to see that, yes, you know, they can 
put together, you know, uh, a cause, you know, they can put together a team, they can work, you know, with each other, we're bringing mentors, you know, and role models to work with them to show them, hey, you know, this is what you can do in bigger and, you know, better ways. So, um, you know, so with this, um, I'd like to, um, again, you know, question to the panel is um, around um, this is moving to the next set of, uh, I think, women in workplace, right? Women in workplace, you know, we see, again, you know, uh, a huge, you know, gender gap, you know, between different industries. We see a lot of women, you know, in supporting roles, you know, in, in services industry, you know, you're already seeing with COVID, the most affected gender is uh, obviously women uh, out there. Most of the service jobs, you know, that are lost, you know, women lost their jobs. Um, in the care industry, in the you know, medical industry, in the hospitality, in the you know, uh, uh, you know, food services and other areas, and coming you know again into uh, professions uh, you know that uh, you know are you know uh, higher uh, socioeconomic you know salary levels and other things, um, you know coming into the uh, you know into the leadership positions etc. Even that you know again the representation of women is you know pretty low. So what can we do, you know, in the industry, in the corporates, you know, to be able to encourage more women? I know there are programs, you know, that, you know, companies are taking today to, you know, bring, you know, more and more, you know, women into the boardrooms and into the, into the workforce. I'd like to, you know, put it out there from each one of you. If we were to go as corporates, you know, to, you know, make some changes, and make workplaces, you know, uh, more conducive for women. What is it that we can go ask the corporates? Vanita? Uh, so as a working mom with, I have two teenage boys, ages 13 and 15. And in this current environment, uh, that is a full-time job again. I used to travel two weeks a month. It, you know, it was very different. So now one challenge among many that you've listed that women struggle with is being a primary educator at, at times as well as all the other aspects they may have owned or shared in maintaining their home as well as wanting to succeed and excel at their careers and so where i think some companies have had strong work from home programs for many years i've been blessed with that at ibm and now even at converge and other companies are adopting that, but it's more than enabling you to have the laptop and Zoom and WebEx or whatever platform you may choose. Not, we have to surface work in a different way, but we also have to have greater flexibility in terms of when the work is accomplished and how it's done. That doesn't absolve the employees, the women from delivering work product, but rather how that work gets completed is being reshaped every day and having the tools, corporations are going to have to make sure that the tools are made available. And that could be Slack, it could be video conferencing, but keep in mind doing what I put my daytime hat on is that's not always easy for companies because what you are doing is allowing access to secure environments from home and how to build that so that you don't have a security breach and that you can authenticate your users is the hard work that companies will need to do and invest in, but they invest in that on behalf of their employees. So I would say the technical in underpinning is critical. 
the understanding of how work will be done. And then the last piece I'd be remiss if I didn't touch, which is the HR organizations helping their leaders and their employees with just overall mental health. Uh, and that will continue to be impacted, I believe, in this environment. It could be for our students as well. Uh, is how do we promote good mental health activities? And as an example, my current employer, we have a lot of wellness activities. It could be challenges with walking and running. It could be nutritional. Uh, it's a, a whole uh, body experience, if you will, but making sure that there's a focus on that so that the human element doesn't get lost uh, is critical. Absolutely. So, uh, Meribeth, how are your uh, teachers, you know, coping up, you know, with uh, some of these changes uh, in the workplace environment today, especially with COVID? Yeah, I was, I was pretty much going to um, ditto almost everything Benita said um, in terms of, you know, the environment for women. Um, I think as, as, a, as a head of an organization and being a woman and having worked through, you know, raising four children while working, I, I, I think that um, organizations have to have a, some elasticity with, you know, depending upon on, on gender for both men and women in terms of where they are in their lives. And that's not necessarily built into the ladder, right? Um, you know, from an HR perspective, is that at some points, there might be a decade in your life that you're just not quite as available to do um, particular things within your organization. But in the next decade of your career, you know, you're gonna exponentially give back. So if you're supported, you will, you know, people will continue to perform. So if we look at long game, I don't know what that's like in the world where people are changing jobs um, fairly frequently. But I do think that's one aspect that I would add onto um, a sense of, you know, de de helping develop a sense of security for your employees. Um, right now for um, people in education and teachers, I think compensation is a huge piece. So when you talked about service industries being out and being affected by COVID, I think women are often in particular areas. I know we're a majority female population um, in terms of employees. And um, most of those people, the majority of them are also, you know, have families and children at home. And now they're educating people, you know, on the screen, doing their classes. They have their own children at home, which, you know, you talked about, Benita. I, I think that, but I do think even beyond COVID, um, compensation is a huge piece because these particular professions are underpaid and they're not valued. Um, and then, uh, and then you, you know, just, just sort of this natural connection that women are doing these, um, these types of uh, professions, majority in healthcare, uh, you know, support services, then, you know, that, that, that just keeps undervaluing. So um, I think that's, that's a big, that's a big issue we haven't touched upon, but I think it's there. Uh, absolutely, absolutely made a bit. Yeah, I mean, th that's a huge issue. That's a huge issue because I think, you know, in the workplace, if you look at, I think, you know, where majority of the women are, I think majority of the women are in the, you know, support roles and in the support industry. And uh, it is disproportionate, uh, disproportionately affecting them. And, uh, you know, today also with a lot of, uh, you know, going digital, right? You know, some of these professions, you know, um, are getting eliminated in the front line. You know, some of these uh, automation you know, is affecting, you know, the, um, you know, the activities on the front lines and which is a big impact, you know, for a majority of the women. And uh, so, so, so this is where I think 
you know, I want to raise the awareness of, um, again, bridging the gap on the social economic, you know, uh, area. So if, if we have to bridge this gap, you know, in an accelerated manner, that's where I think more and more women, you know, have to go, you know, away from the support oriented jobs and into the, you know, decision making to into some of these, you know, tech and, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, STEM, you know, uh, type of uh, jobs. So question here is, I think, you know, from, from a, um, upskilling and, uh, you know, uh, from reskilling, you know, many of the women, you know, are, are today looking at what is it that they can do to kind of just reskill themselves into the tech industry, for example, right? Or, you know, in, into some of these, you know, higher positions. How can women come together to be able to, you know, show that guidance? So I've, I've recently seen, for example, I think, you know, there, I've seen a couple of uh, programs. I think uh, Women Back to Work, uh, The Mom Project, you know, where they're actually encouraging, you know, more and more corporates, you know, to take women, you know, back into the workplace. Um, they are encouraging, you know, companies or, you know, uh, to, to kind of put incentives for women to reskill and get onto, you know, newer type of roles. Um, I'd like to ask Whitney, you know, obviously I think you coming from a tech industry and you're seeing, you know, obviously these emerging fields like, you know, artificial intelligence, blockchain, you know, and others where there's a huge, you know, difference between the salary levels of those kind of positions to somebody doing, you know, an HR activity and others well, but that is still important talking about, you know, how can we push more and more women onto higher paying careers and higher paying jobs? Yes. Um, so in emergent fees, I think we have a great advantage because as we mentioned, a lot of these things we are facing is systematic and in emergent fees, it's so scrappy and it's so new. It's like, if you're early adopter, um, you have a chance to shape the industry how you want it. So I think how we can empower women to get more, well, take more advantage of these spaces is true, like staying on the edge of the innovation, like really tracking trends and really like just creating the spaces to discuss those trends and like where you see it going so that um, we all will be able to see like the new opportunities being created. And then my other input will be around soft skills in a sense that when you enter these spaces, it really comes down to individual basis. And one of the skills that we lack, or especially I, that I am struggling with, is how do I communicate assertively? And how do I um, demand for what I deserve in these spaces? Like my actions speak for itself, but now I actually have to take the additional leap to share my story, to re-emphasize why you need to listen to me every single time I speak. So I think investing in communication, like public speaking, as well as more like branding discussions in terms of who are you, tell me who you are in 60 seconds and tell me why you deserve to be here in 60 seconds. <laughs> yeah. So good. I think, uh, you know, I, we all agree. I think there's more and more representation that needs to be done and more and more self-advocacy that we need to build into our systems, you know, with our, you know, girls and women to be able to go out there and uh, get it out there. So with that, I think, um, you know, I know we're almost uh, reaching at the top of the hour um, and uh, li like to, you know, have each one of you give your core message to, you know, women out there and uh, your promise to be out there for them when they reach out to you. Sure, I'll uh, start. I'd ask that the 
women out there continue to advocate. Uh, more than anything, there are so many steps, big and small, that you can take to help one another and the workplace, as well as to help the next generation. So find those opportunities, embrace them to be a role model, a mentor, share an experience and a story. Just put yourself out there. Thank you. Thank you, Vanita. And thank you for joining us today. Megana, mm -hmm. your message to the girls and women out there. Yeah, I think all I'd like to say is like, you know, don't give up on your dreams. Uh, you know, obviously for us, it's going to be harder to, you know, uh, achieve what we want or, you know, get where we want to. And, you know, it's, it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. There, there are going to be a lot of people who tell us that, you know, this is not meant for us or like, you know, we are not meant to be here. But just because somebody else said so doesn't mean that, you know, you have to give up on your dream. So just don't give up on your dreams, work hard for them. And, you know, you, when you have a passion for something, no matter how much people try to pull you down, you will achieve what you want to. Thank you, Meghna. Whitney? Yeah, my message to everyone out there will be, this is your life. Like, and you have to live it, you have to eat, you have to sleep through it and exist through it. So therefore, what you really want to do is take the time to assess what's happening in your life right now. What are the demands that you are having that you have no control over? What are the demands you like and you don't like? And therefore, spend time really thinking and creating what you want your ideal life to look like in terms of your, from your perspective and go after it. And don't like begrudge yourself the opportunity to try. Just do it. Thank you, Whitney. Wonderful message. And, uh, you know, it's such a, such a wonderful um, opportunity to have all of you here. And uh, girls and women, first and foremost, I think, you know, you have wonderful people right here. You're looking for role models. You know, feel free to reach out to these role models. And uh, we are always there here for you. And my message to you is uh, live your life limitless, fearless, and be strong. Go after it, dream big, and achieve whatever you want. There's nothing that can stop you. Find your resources around you. Here at Touch a Life, we want to keep bringing you uh, people you know, who can inspire you, you can help you, and uh, come join our programs in uh, of Touch a Life uh, Social Entrepreneurship Clubs. Uh, we are here to you know, help you along the way. Thank you so much for joining.